Welcome, brave listeners, to another frightening tale. If by chance you've written a scary story with a paranormal twist that you'd allow me to perform here, please submit it for consideration at frighteningtales.com. Today's story is The Night Job by Jethro Peely. My name is Father Gabriel Collins, and I have been living a double life. No, this is not a confession about some hanky-panky going on between me and an altar boy or a married female parishioner, or even a beautiful young novitiate, the convent in the next town over. It breaks my heart that those things happen, but I'm not one of those priests. This is about my day job, and my night job. Why does a priest need to have a day job and a night job, you ask? Well, because our town has been ravaged by a vile demonic plague. We are surrounded by and overran with blood-sucking corpses from the deepest pits of hell. You see, I'm what you might call a vampire hunter. By day I hear confessions, administer last rites, conduct baptisms, weddings and funerals, teach sixth grade catechism at our parish school, counsel parishioners and offer any advice I could give them. And I say mass on Sundays, but when the night falls, I blend into the shadows like my enemies to strike the fear of God into their dead, soulless hearts. I looked at my watch one last time and entered the confessional to wait for my last appointment of the day. It was coming at 6.40pm. As if on cue, I heard the church doors open and close and footsteps heading my way. The curtain swished and I heard a breathy exhale like someone who had just ran all the way to the church. Good evening, my son, I said as my customary greeting. Good evening, uh, father, came the familiar voice, albeit with a shakiness to it, as though he were nervous. I knew very well who this young man was. I had baptized him as an infant and his siblings after that. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. May the Lord help you confess your sins, I prompt him gently. Amen. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been a year since my last confession. These are my sins. He said, enumerating the many sins that he had committed over the course of the year. For your penance, I want you to say nine Hail Marys and nine Our Fathers, I said, after listening intently as he listed his many sins. Would you like to say the prayer of contrition, my son? 
I, I would, the young man said. Oh, my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended you, and I detest all my sins because of your just punishments. But most of all, because they offend you, my God, who are all good and deserving of all my love, I firmly resolve with your help of your grace to sin no more and to avoid the near occasions of sin. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the Word to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the Church, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, I said. Amen came the voice, much lighter and happier now than earlier. It was as though a great burden had been lifted off this man's shoulders. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, I said. For his mercy endures forever, was the reply. I could sense the smile in his voice. Go now in peace, I said with my own smile. Thank you, father, he said, after which I heard the swish of a curtain once more, receding footsteps and the opening and closing of the church doors. After that final confession for the day, I went home to the rectory. I fixed myself a plate of leftover coddle cooked by the rectory's lovely housekeeper, a sweet old lady whom everyone in the parish had nicknamed Mama Mary. I had some buttered soda bread with it, also courtesy of Mary. Since she'd already gone home for the day, I washed the dishes myself. It was now 7.40. After the dishes, I went upstairs to my room and undressed. I put my shirt, slacks, and coat in the laundry basket, and then I proceeded to change into my pajamas. I brushed my teeth, and I said my nightly prayers. I intended to get some rest before the real work began. At ten minutes to midnight, my antique twin bell alarm clock rang incessantly, jolting me out of my peaceful sleep. It was time for my night job. I sprang from my bed, hastily threw off my shirt and pajamas, and then proceeded to adorn myself completely in black, finishing with a heavy leather trench coat. I kissed my rosary and slipped it around my neck, and then I wrapped myself in a thick red scarf that has protected my neck from the vampire's deadly bite on more than one occasion. I entered the code on my safe, 23623, and grabbed the wooden box within it. From within the box I collected a crucifix with a sharp point at the bottom that doubled as a stake. A mallet, an extra rosary, two pistols with twenty silver bullets blessed by the Archbishop himself, a prayer book, a small Bible 
a vial of garlic powder, a vial of salt uh, to sprinkle around you for protection, a vial of holy water, and a vial filled with the blood of a stigmatic. These vile creatures could drink any blood except the blood of those who have borne the sacred wounds of our Lord on their bodies. It is a potentially deadly poison to their kind. It's, to us, it emits a wonderful scent like perfume, but to a vampire, the blood of a stigmatic emits a most putrid stench that they cannot stand. In the utility belt that I wore around my waist, I proceeded to fill with all the tools of my trade, all the things I would need to deal death to the dead. I loaded my twin pistols with six bullets each and secured them on my shoulder holsters. I brought a few extra pistols just to be safe and placed them in the hip holsters attached to my waist. I took four bowie knives hidden away in secret compartments of the safe and inserted them into my boots, and I made sure to slide the Bible and prayer book into the left and right pockets of my coat, respectively. I closed the safe and I grabbed my hat, hanging on the hook on the wall, and twisting the deep brim, I exited through a secret door in my room's fireplace. As I rode the lift down to the rectory's basement, I felt like a Catholic Batman. If Batman was a Catholic priest and not an orphaned multi-billionaire playboy and CEO, I do wish I was Batman. Though in my opinion, clowns are way less scarier than vampires. But I cannot show my fear, and I must press on. As I climbed the steps from the storm cellar, I uttered a quick prayer for protection and resignation to God. In manus to us, Domine commendio spiritum meum, I whispered softly, making the sign of the cross. Red miste me, Domine Deus veratis. With a breath I hadn't realized I'd been holding in for a long time, I pushed open the heavy double doors of the cellar and stepped into the cold of the night, ready for battle, ready for war. I shut the cellar doors behind me and hopped onto my waiting black Harley. Revving the engine, I drove off into the night. I was headed for Davenport Municipal Cemetery, where according to my informant, the latest vampire attack had occurred. Reports were coming in that a string of kidnappings had happened and children were vanishing, never to be found again. Those that were found too late were found dead, with two puncture wounds on their necks bled dry all of the life sucked out of them. Two of these children had managed to escape and both tell the same story. They were lured out of the comfort of their homes by a beautiful woman singing a song, a lullaby, but instead of falling asleep it had the opposite effect and they followed her as she led them to the cemetery. 
This sick, blood-sucking monster who preyed on innocent children must answer for her crimes against God and against humanity. She, well, it, had to be stopped. I parked my bike in front of a closed cafe a block away from the cemetery. I walked the rest of the way, creeping along soundlessly through back alleys as I melted into the shadows around me. As I reached the cemetery, I hopped the wall and landed softly in the grass without making a sound. In the pale moonlight, I could see a figure in white moving through the trees and tombstones, clutching a sleeping child to her chest. As I drew closer, I could clearly see her tattered, blood-spattered gown and flowing golden hair. I was taken aback for an instant by her beauty. Her looks were reminiscent of fair faucets, and if I, if I were a younger man, I would have had her likeness plastered on my bedroom wall. Her body, too, reminded me of Farah. I stared in stupor, drooling at the goddess before me. But I shook myself from her evil trap and clutched the crucifix, ripping it from my holster. As I stood from my crouching position, I held the crucifix high, and she hissed and snarled. I adjure you, I said, advancing on her, by the holy angels Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel, and Raziel, I adjure you, cursed dragon, diabolical legions, come out, I adjure you, spawn of Beelzebub, Abaddon, and Shore. The vampire let out a shriek so horrible it sounded like the tormented souls of purgatory. The sharp points of her fangs gleamed in the moonlight and I steadied my resolve, clutching my weapon tighter. By the utterance of all of the Watchers and the Holy Ones, I said, shoving the crucifix in her face. She recoiled. In the name of Adane, God of the Heavens, I command you, in covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, of all powerful El Shaddai, fly from this innocent soul. At that, she carelessly flung the child she was holding and lunged at me. On instinct, my hand flew to my tool belt and I blindly grabbed one of the vials, throwing it at the she-demon before me. The glass exploded at contact with her face, and the blood from the vial boiled her undead skin and flesh. It sizzled, popped, and smoked like frying bacon in a greasy pan. But it didn't smell like bacon. I coughed and had to cover my nose with my trench coat due to the horrid stench of burning, rotting garbage. The creature shrieked, recoiling, giving me an opening. I took my opportunity and drove the crucifix stake into her chest. She froze once and recoiled once more before making a lunge at me again. She fought like a wounded tiger that'd been cornered. Her sharp claws tore through my leather trench coat, making eight long, deep gashes, releasing eight long ribbons of red. I felt excruciating pain in my right shoulder and was horrified at the realization of what had just happened. I was bleeding. 
Re-energized by the scent of the blood, the vampire fought on, despite the offending stake sticking out of her chest. Strings of blood mixed with venomous saliva stretched before me as she opened her maw wide to strike. At the last second, I drew my gun from my right shoulder holster, cocked it with some difficulty and fired, aiming at her stomach. She stumbled backwards as blood spurted and pooled around the new wound. Normally, the wound in her stomach would just close, but because I had struck her heart, her most vulnerable part, she was greatly weakened, negating her self-healing factor. I put the pistol back in its holster and grabbed the mallet to finish the job. Despite the blinding pain in my arm, I gripped the stake tighter in my right hand and held the mallet in my left. I pounded away, driving the mercy-bearing stake deeper and deeper into the vampire's dead, unbeating heart. She let out a shriek after a horrifying shriek, and her body shook and flailed like a fish out of water. But I did not falter. I buried the stake deep into her chest, up to the hilt, and watched as the figure of our lord on the crucifix sank deeper into the crimson hole. Finally, her movement stopped, and she lay as still as death, the way she should have been had she not turned into the foul beast that she was. The danger wasn't over, however. There was still a task to be done. A final act of mercy. I drew my concealed bowie knife and slashed the poor girl's throat, hacking away until her head dropped off and was severed from the body completely. Next, I tossed her head and body into a dumpster behind the cemetery and set fire to it. No longer will she disturb another boy or girl's peaceful dreams. After my task was complete, I returned to the cemetery to collect the child she had so carelessly discarded. I turned him over and recognized little Tommy Watson, a quiet boy from our parish. I immediately fished out my phone and dialed 911. I heard the operator on the line ask me what the emergency was. There's another wounded boy at Davenport Municipal Cemetery, I reported. Hurry, or he might not make it. As soon as I hung up the phone, Tommy Wilson stirred, as though being woken up from his sleep. He opened his eyes sleepily and then sat up, quickly scooting back when he caught sight of me. Who are you? He asked. Where am I? I'm an angel, I told him. And you're going to be all right, kid. That's a promise. A an angel? He said, his little eyes growing wide with wonder. Yes, Tommy, I said. An angel and a friend. An angel? He repeated, and then promptly fell back asleep. I stayed with him until the paramedics arrived, and as soon as I heard the wailing of the ambulance, I made my way out of the cemetery and back into the night. After I had cleaned and dressed my wounds back at the rectory, I decided to catch some more sleep before the sun rose in a couple of hours. Before saying my prayers and slipping into bed, however, I made my way to the cathedral and climbed the winding stairs to the top of the bell tower. As I stood watch over the sleeping town, my tattered trench coat flapping in the breeze, 
I vowed in my head to be its secret protector. As long as the undead walked the earth and my town was unsafe, I would continue to wear the mantle of the Dark Angel. As a priest, I must guard the church and her people. Our Lord said that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as long as I am standing, as long as I am breathing, I will not let the gates of hell prevail. Let the devil and his angels throw everything they have at me. No hellish scheme shall ever harm my flock. That is a promise. And so concludes yet another shift of the night job. You've been listening to The Night Job, written by Jethro Peely, presented by master storyteller Mark Wilhelm. I hope you've enjoyed this frightening tale. If you should find yourself in possession of a frightening tale that you'd like to share, please submit it through frighteningtales.com for a future episode. Only submit stories that you own the rights for to do otherwise well it's just evil do tune in again for another scary moment if you're brave enough <laughs>